You're here on a fun day. You're here on a fun day, and we're glad for all of you who are visiting, who are family and friends who are here to support your loved ones and their decision that they've made for Christ. But um, Jackie, we are glad to hear from you. We are glad for your courage to share your story and share parts of your story, but really your encounter with God. And so I want to begin this morning um, uh, asking you to describe to people what was your life before uh, you met Christ? What was happening in your life? What was leading up to your decision to invite Christ into your life? Um, so I was, first of all, thank you so much for the honor of being able to speak up here and um, just show the way that his God's character. I'm just so thankful for this opportunity. But um, to start off my old belief system, I knew God. I knew that he was good, that he had plans to prosper me. And I I believe that he was in control of everything, but that kind of led to a passive faith, which led to me kind of thinking that my choices, no matter what I did, that he was in control. And so at times I would feel like I would go to him and I would pray, but it would be out of desperation and in points where I would just be so lonely and stressed that I would just turn to him and almost not really have the words to say. It just seemed overwhelming. Like the Bible just seemed like I had to use my own mind and my own understanding to incorporate all of it. Um, but I had I had moments where, I remember specifically in 2010, I was in college. I had left Helena and felt so alone and depressed and stressed that I couldn't even find the words to say anything or pray. And I remember just saying help. And looking back on it, I could see God there, even though I didn't know what to say. He was carrying me. And... Um, I just had those feelings, but I didn't know what to do with them. I like how you describe a passive faith. Mm-hmm. Anybody here remember that? Having a passive faith, knowing and believing God, knowing that it's real, but our passivity couldn't engage any more than out of desperation, out of desperate moments, and saying, God, I need you right now. I, that's, that's beautiful. Passive faith. Jackie, um, <clears throat> having had a passive faith, at one time as well. I know typically um, people have mechanisms. They have means. They have ways that they uh, cope naturally, um, that they deal with things besides engaging God uh, outside of when things are worth uh, the worst. Could you describe that a little bit? How did you personally uh, deal with pressures and loneliness, depression, those kinds of things? What did you find yourself running to? Um, I was really good at running to exercise and adventure, seeking the highs, like the the stuff that was really fun in life, but it was kind of an artificial light. And it would be fun, but then I'd have really good highs and then lows. And one of my favorite things to do was exercise, and I'd put my music in my ears, and it was rock music. It was like intensity and anger fueled me, and it just made me feel like I was above the depression or if I just could get a hold of my own strength and muster up the might to overcome the darkness that seemed to be in my life. My life was still really good, but that was kind of my outlet of exercise. Exercise, mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Yeah, Angry rock music. and roll specifically. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> rock music fuels uh, anger if you want to be fueled in your mm-hmm. anger maybe, right? And uh, Chevelle, Breaking Benjamin, they're pretty good. There you yeah. go. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Help you deal. Help yep. you cope. Right. Um, who who did God bring into your life during this time? Who are some people that God was trying to use to uh, break into your life? So I had a lot of influential people. Um, 
specifically as far as spiritual, my spiritual faith, I had my mother-in-law, Darcy, was super influential. I would go to her house and we just have heart to hearts on the farm. And I remember her saying things like, greater is he who's in you than he's who's in the world. And God sustains me. He meets all my needs. And I remember being like, wow, that sounds good. Like, I, I really want that. That sounds great. I believe that. And I know that that's true, but I didn't know how to access it. I didn't know how to make it real for me. And so I remember listening and those were seeds that were being planted and I didn't know it, but God in that moment was just pulling me towards him. And he used another one of my friends, Jenna. Okay. Um, she would listen to podcasts and I remember her heart being captivated by God and seeing her walk with God mm. and seeing his love for her as his daughter. And she sent me a podcast and I kept it on my phone, but I didn't listen to it yet. Okay. And then I had a friend, Gina, she would took me, took me to her church and I, that was one of my first encounters with worship. And she actually seen how God walked through her life um, through a loss of a child and seeing what he carried her through and had me intrigued there as well. Cool. cool. Mm -hmm. I'm sensing a, uh, uh, well use of your cell phone and your cell phone bill. Yeah, cell phones aren't terrible. Between music <laughs> and uh, your friends steering you towards podcasts. Yeah. Um, what are, what are, uh, Oh, there's uh, one more person. Go. Sorry. Um, John Canny actually was our neighbor there for a while. And I remember specifically having a conversation with him, um, in our backyard. And he talked about how he could hear God's voice when he was hunting and how God told him to go up on a certain ridge where the elk were. And I remember thinking, Oh, that sounds weird, but <laughs> but at the same time, at the same time, I thought that's pretty awesome. Like, mm. I want to hear God's voice, but at that time too, I realized I wasn't hearing God's voice. So that conversation highlighted that you weren't hearing God's voice, but mm -hmm. maybe it was possible if John's not too crazy. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't nullify the fact that he is, uh -huh. but it helps if he can hear from God. Right? Cool. Um, so. That was leading up to a moment, though. Can you let us in on your God experience moment? So that, that podcast that my friend Jenna sent me was called Victory in This Present Life. And I found myself at a pit that was so dark and I felt hopeless. I felt like I was out of control of what my life was doing. And I felt like anything I turned to was empty that the stuff I used to turn to for hope that used to get me through the times wasn't working anymore. And so I, out of desperation, just sat down on my couch. I laid down, I turned that podcast on, and it was like God opened up a window to my heart, to my mind, and my soul, and showed me that I wasn't alone, that he gave me his authority, and that spirit that he gave me was inside of me, and that my life was going in the direction of my dominant thought. Not someone else's, but my dominant thought that the pit that I was in was self-inflicted, but that meant that I could get myself out of it and not on my own strength, but I realized that the strength that I had was coming from him. And as I, as I listened to that, I had a peace. There wasn't this anxiety about moving forward. I had a peace that I had never felt before. And so I continued to listen to podcasts on my way to work. It was nothing big. It was a simple change. I started to fill my mind with his word instead of my own thoughts. And I listened to those podcasts. And then that led me to November, 2015. Um, that first encounter was September 13th, 2015. So Jackie's a little linear, linear. <laughs> she keeps track of dates and time. 
more than most of us do. I've learned that about Jackie, and I love I love that, Jackie. That's awesome. Yeah, April 14th will be the next linear date on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. So from there, September 2015, I went up to our Lincoln cabin by myself. Um, there's no service up there. I made a fire, and I started listening to a podcast called The Fear of the Lord. And I just felt I'm not very good at being alone. And I went up there, and I was at complete peace and just felt what I know now is was the presence of God. And I sat there, and I stood the fire, and I gave my – I surrendered my life to the Lord. I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart at that moment, and everything changed. It was It was such a simple moment, but it was – a moment that I got to be with him and realized how much he loved me. That's quite a transition from a passive faith <laughs> that could only felt the need or the desperation to encounter God at the most desperate times, but to begin to access him outside of that and lead to an encounter in a moment like that. That was September or November? That was... I'm not as linear. That was November. Okay, yeah. November. <laughs> November. Awesome. So prior to November, things were getting pretty dark and pretty lonely. What what would you say God was doing next? What what was happening? So I felt like there was it was like the beginning of a my spiritual identity starting to grow. I went from mm. it was like this war. There was two sides and before I was on the side of being like tormented and lost and lonely and out of control. And God was starting to bring me into a place of identity and security and purpose. And he showed me through Romans 12, one through two, how you can let the word of God transform your mind instead of being conformed to the ways of this world. And I started to realize that it was in the words that he was giving me that was changing my heart. And I was being transformed by his word and that the way that I felt wasn't who I was, that the lies that I was telling myself wasn't who I was. And those self-inflicted uh-huh. ones, <laughs> yeah. right? That's good. Exactly. That's good. So I had a big part of that was realizing that my feelings, what I could see, taste, mm-hmm. hear, smell, and feel wasn't everything that I had. The spirit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, faith, and self-control on the inside of me, regardless of how I felt. And I let that guide me through this battle of good versus evil. I didn't have a knowledge of good versus evil before. And I, once I realized that God is good, and if it's not God, if it's not good, it's not God. And that he would give me the tools to fight that darkness and be able to fight the good fight of faith. And I used podcasts and worship to do that too. That's great. I remember as we chatted about uh, this talk today and you sharing, I remember you saying to help express and contrast uh, how you used to think in your passive faith and how you used to think God's in control of everything and everything will work out and it'll go well. But then you realized uh, after meeting God that God actually wanted something from you. He wanted your involvement. He wanted your action, your participation, that it wasn't just left up to him to make things good and well for you, but that you had a place mm-hmm. and that that identity, right? Yeah, that identity was huge. And scary at the same time, knowing that I had a responsibility, but and like a knowing that it was his strength, not my own, was helpful. Mm-hmm. Like a, a responsibility of like an invitation, though, 
uh-huh. not to do it on your own. But yep. it's awesome. That he was partnering with me. That's great. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you uh, who, who then after that transition, you shared about three people that uh, God had brought into your life leading up to that transition. After you invited Christ into your life, who did God bring into your life? What happened there? Um, so I had my son, McCoy. That was the first person he brought into my life. <laughs> and through that, um, our neighbor, Heather Canny, she had her little daughter, Lily, at the same time. And it was funny because we were neighbors, and they moved away. And then it was after they moved that we started hanging out. And Heather started to invite me over for lunch and just play dates. And then um, I came here a couple times and then just felt that, you know, just the simple texts and hanging out at her house. And then I found myself at another self-inflicted pit. And God gave me the courage to reach out to Heather. And I called her, and it was like 10 o'clock at night. And she came over to my house. No questions asked. She came over, and she prayed for me. And I felt a peace again. And I knew that that was God, and I knew that that was where I needed to turn to. And Heather used prayer at that moment, and it touched my life in a way that I can, will never forget. And I continued to seek God through that. And John and Heather invited me out to their house. And I remember John praying for me and he said, it's okay to be alone. And so I got alone with God. I had this time with him and I started to just realize what his purpose was and had an intimate relationship with him to where I was able to feel myself starting to change. And then um, slowly started to realize that the pain I was going to going through had a purpose and that purpose was what was going to move me forward. So I, God started to build a community. Um, Heather invited me to a Bible study, uh, chasing after the heart of God. It was actually Julie Swanson's. And that was from there. It was like the beginning of feeling the sense of belonging. And then I met you through the link lunch. And then you connected me with Anita Shirley and went to the, brew house and had um, a talk where we just she just shared her faith with me and connected me to her daughter-in-law Leah mm-hmm. and a bunch of other girls and that's where God kind of started forming a, a little family of mm-hmm. community spiritual family belonging those gals in that first Bible study are still pretty uh-huh. pretty special to you aren't they yep. yeah I think of a, a verse in Psalms Psalm 68 6 the first part of it says that God takes the lonely and surrounds them with family. Mm -hmm. We all come from family. We wouldn't exist without family. But from the very beginning of time, God has wanted to work through family, right? And Mm -hmm. even though you have a family, your family is fantastic and wonderful. I know uh, uh, several of them and uh, their friends and have heard great things. And yet, um, yet God wants to graft us in spiritually as well. Right, we all have family roots. I just come back from a roots tour, celebrating my father-in-law's 75th birthday today, and yet I'm reminded about how bad God wants to graft us to His Father's heart, mm-hmm. and He uses community to do that yes. as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had some other connections, I think, and some other community that God formed within Helena and even outside of Mount Helena. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and there's you know the whole family part of, you know, the roots that I came from, the family that I have, God blessed me with mm. an amazing family that I can't put words to. And he continued 
to show me his love. I didn't have a relational relational faith with him, but I was able to experience his love first thing because of my family that he gave me. And through their open arms, through their love, through their support, through their laughter and their kindness, that is how I experienced God's love first. And then he continued, if that wasn't enough to bless me with, he spoiled me with a spiritual family that it was in this church. It was you guys. It was you guys reaching out and putting up with all my tears and <laughs> ugly faces with mascara running down it. I just stopped wearing mascara here. <laughs> <laughs> Not required. Yeah. Slightly recommended. <laughs> so th- there were some ugly cries, but there was a lot of every tear was sowed, and I, I can feel God's faithfulness in reaping those tears and making a purpose and harvesting them with joy. And this community is what got me through it, my spiritual family and my the family that God brought me into. I was sprinkle baptized um, when I was three months old, and I'm forever grateful for my parents um, setting me and dedicating me to God's ways and setting me on the right path because I know that God was working through them in that time, through the Jesus loves me at night, through the singing Kumbaya around the fire, <laughs> and the you know, the vacation Bible studies, everything. And that's what I was raised with. But today... Yeah, what's today represent? Today is a, a personal choice and proclamation, a declaration of personally inviting Christ into my life and choosing to be his follower, to be his daughter, and to be dead to myself but alive in him, that it's him who's alive in me. Mm-hmm. He is, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at some of those scriptures. Okay. Can you give Jackie... Tremendous round of applause. Jack is great, great. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable and letting us into your process and your engagement, your relationship with Christ. And thank you to your family being here and uh, celebrating. Today is a family day. It's an awesome day. And uh, it's great to celebrate Palm Sunday this way, isn't it? Celebrating their decisions like the early church did and like So many of the scriptures encourage us to do. I'm going to pray and we're going to open up into a beautiful piece of scripture. If if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Romans chapter 6. We're going to uh, look at the whole chapter there. There's beautiful words and beautiful descriptions of that living and that dying that even Jackie was talking about. But even specifically to baptism and what it represents in, in Christ's death and resurrection as well. So, Father, we we thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you're a transformational God, that you're not satisfied with passivity. God, you want to engage us in a real meaningful way and make your invitation so real and so tangible and so engaging. You you don't, I think of the scriptures that says, your eyes search and scour the earth below, looking for what man or woman will turn their eyes towards you, that you actually want to connect eyes with every single person on the earth that you gave your son for. You want to you gaze into our eyes and into our heart and into our soul and tell us how much you love you and how much you love us and how much you care for us and how much grace and forgiveness and mercy you have for us. I pray that your word would open that up today to us. You would just you'd gaze into us. God, I pray that you'd find each of us in this room connecting eyes with you through your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. 
Romans chapter 6. I'm sorry I don't have the whole thing up on the screen. That would be a lot of PowerPoint slides. So uh, the first part and the last part of the chapter are going to be there. But I, is it okay? Can we read the whole chapter? I, I don't want to just grab a couple of the words. I'm going to let the words speak for themselves. Uh, Paul wrote a beautiful section of Scripture here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not just for himself, not just for his own time and devotion to God, but for you and I today. These words are supposed, there's timeless truths, there's timeless principles that they don't, they don't fade because God's still alive, right? God's alive and he's active, he's jealous, he's pursuant, he wants to engage you and I, and he's quite fine initiating it. But he really wants our participation. He wants our engagement. Let's read Romans chapter 6. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What is grace? What's grace? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can, we, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I want to go back to that question. What is grace? What is grace? When I think of grace, I think of something that's undeserved, uncharacteristically bestowed upon someone else, unearned, an unearned favor of God, an unearned mercy, an unearned forgiveness. I mean, by the recipient, it's unearned, right? Christ earned it for us. He did it for us. He was perfect. And he did it for us in order to bestow it upon us. Shall we continue on sinning that grace would abound? By no means. I like to think, heck no. Heck no. That's not what we're here for. That's not what Christ died for. That's not what baptism is. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life. A different life, if you will. If we've been united, continuing in verse 5, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. What we're about to celebrate next Sunday we're still yet to experience, but we're meant to experience an Easter Sunday sort of re resurrection. It's symbolized here in baptism, and baptisms can seem and look like, by an onlooker, can look like something entirely just natural, just something physical, dipping someone down into water and bringing them back up, but yet it's completely supernatural. It's supernatural. And that's what he's writing about here. He's writing about the supernatural process that makes us dead to sin and makes a new life come out of it. And yet, it's only in part compared to the resurrection you and I are still going to experience if we have Christ in our life. Continuing then, in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. If we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. No longer. Death has, 
death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall be not your master because you are under the law, but you're under that unmerited favor, that unmerited mercy, unmerited, unwon forgiveness from God that he bestows it upon us. Instead, we become slaves to righteousness. The second half of the chapter describes it. It says, what then? Shall we sin? I'm going back to this sin issue, he's saying. Shall we sin because we're not under law, but now under grace? By no means again, he says. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you continue to obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that through, excuse me, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. There's some beautiful words in there, right? What a beautiful picture. He is spurring believers on like you and I, and like what we're witnessing today, the decision that these people have made, even though it's thousands of years, hundreds of years, Paul is writing to them and to you and I today, describing all of our potential, all of our worth, all of what we haven't earned ourselves, but by receiving Christ, by that invitation, by having that encounter moment with God, it's unmerited, but it's poured out over top of us, poured out, drenching us with grace unto righteousness. In verse 19, he says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? those things resulting in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. That's chapter six. He's talking about grace, this unmerited notion, but it's gonna lead to something. It's process. The process of grace in our life is to lead us to righteousness. People call this the Holy Week. Religions around the world in various countries remember this week. From Catholics to the Jewish faith to different sects of Christianity, they think of this as the Holy Week. Today is the entry day of Jesus. And all that's about to happen in the last week that we've been going through the last couple of weeks here at Mount Helena, the Holy Week. But the whole reason Jesus is doing that is because you and I are broken. 
Because we have holes, if you will, a different kind of hole, Lee, right? We have holes, gaps that we cannot fill. No matter how hard we work, no matter our intentions. Again, I think of a scripture, there's a way that seems right unto man, but it leads to death. No matter how good our intentions are, on our own, apart from the life, the death, the resurrection, the eternal promises of Jesus Christ. I can identify and identify and identify, and yet my identity outside of Christ can be, te- can be attacked, can, holes can be poked through it right and left. But when I identify with the solidity of Jesus Christ, with the assurance, with the absolute correctness of what Christ did for me, even in my weakest moments, even in the bottom of my pits in my most desperate time, Christ wants to break through. Christ wants to break through with righteousness and a holiness that he imputes to us. We can't earn. And he says, son and daughter, this is still how I see you. The Father in heaven still says, this is how I see you. You confess Christ as your personal Savior. I now see Christ in you. His perfection is what I see. That's what I want in your life. And I'm here to empower you to strengthen you unto your resurrection day. That's what these people are doing today. Some of them have been saved for a number of years. Some of them just got saved. Some of them had conversations way too late with mom and dad last night. Over the last several weeks and last several days. But even the youngest of these kids are wanting to say, I want to identify the rest of my life with someone who's bigger than me with someone who's greater than me, with someone who's more perfect than I am, with someone who is completely perfect. And I want them to live in me. I want them to rule in me. And that's Jesus Christ. Lonnie, this last couple of weeks as we visited, Lonnie said, I, I went to church. <clears throat> my mom was really important in my life. And I went to church and I used to think grace was my permission to sin. I used to think like Paul is trying to combat that sort of thinking. And he said, I used to think that Christ, that Jesus Christ was my hall pass to be able to sin. I'm like, wow, I haven't heard that before. I coach in the public schools. My wife's a a school teacher and I know how much those kids treasure the hall passes that hang up by her door. But he said, I I used to cling to Christ in that way, like that hall pass. But now I know with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives me a freedom not to have to have a hall pass, but not to have to sin, not to have to live that way. He actually empowers me to overcome and to try and engage my relationship with God in order to live like Christ, not in perfection for you and I, but out of the strength that's in Christ Jesus. And from the youngest to the oldest of us in this room, that's what, that's what we want, right? We want to identify with the death and the resurrection, the empowerment of Jesus Christ. I'm going to uh, just give a heads up to Julie if you would uh, grab the two older classrooms. We have a number of kids 
uh, who are going to be baptized today. And so those kids are going to come in and, and join us. So if you're a parent of those kids, the fourth and fifth graders will be coming through this door. And, uh, you don't have to go get them. They're just going to make their way to you. And the teachers are there to help oversee that. And then second and third graders are going to come through that door as well. Um, <clears throat> the worship team, you can come up as well.